sports and we don't care who knows. From shooting hoops to the Super Bowl. We like sports and we don't care who knows. Welcome back, everybody, to episode number 69 of Knox and Pox. I'm Evan Kenny. Joining me, as always, is Eric Bay. E-Bay, how's it going, buddy? What is going on, guys? And everybody, check your pulses. How's everyone doing? Because this has been a whirlwind last four or five days, Evan, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, 100%, man. Like, the hockey world has been flipped upside down i mean not just obviously players being uh taken from each team for the expansion draft but obviously anybody who's been following along there's been some huge trades it's obviously the nhl draft as well so just a huge changing phase when it comes to nhl teams here ebay and uh you know ebay i care so much about what you were up to this week but honestly i think we have quite a bit to cover in this episode. So I think I'm just going to skip over that whole section. I'm sorry if, if you were dying to tell everybody something. I mean, yeah, this whole offseason has been a complete 180 compared to last year. I do want to make one point, though, before we get into the hockey talk. I have a bone to pick with the Cleveland Indians, now known as the Cleveland Guardians. They ruined my streak of perfect teams. And also, I just think their logo is absolute garbage. It looks like Captain America's little helmet there with the wings or the 1980s, 90s Angels. I'm not too sure what year they rocked those kind of retro unis, but the 90s Angels, the worst of the Angels uniforms at Con that image so just an awful awful logo and they changed the font too of their their name and everything which i didn't see a need for so now that's out of the way go ahead evan unless you have something to say on the guardians well i was just gonna say i noticed their like you, you mentioned their uh their font change i noticed i'm like okay it's the same idea as like the indians written out but there seems to be something off with this i couldn't figure it out until you just said it there i'm like yeah, it is, it is the font change. It does make a difference. Oh, it's just, it's something about it is just off. It seems so weird. And the name too, I'm not a huge fan. I would have loved Spiders. I was attached to that one. But the name too, it makes me think, I don't know if you ever saw Night at the Museum back in the day, but when uh, when the guy who plays the, the mummy calls uh, Ben Stiller a guardian of Brooklyn, that's all I picture now is the guardians of Cleveland or the guardians of the galaxy. So I... There, there's a lot better names out there, I think. It's not the worst for sure, but the logo definitely does not make me love it anymore. Instead of Chief, whatever his name was as their, their mascot, they're just going to get a giant Ben Stiller to walk around the stadium. And giant Ben Stiller just means like a regular-sized human because Ben Stiller is super short. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. eBay, speaking of short, this is all we're talking about for personal, uh, personal life. We're going to get into hockey, keep this, uh, you know, keep this train on the tracks. Uh, obviously, like we said, huge time when it comes to the NHL. Uh, eBay, let's jump into the expansion draft here. Let's just start off with some general thoughts before we start dissecting the roster a little bit. Now, I'm very surprised with majority, I'll say, of the players that they took. Realistically, none, uh, scratch that, not none, but only a select handful are players that I probably would have taken from each team. What were you thinking watching that? 
Yeah, I would, I would actually agree. I think that is very much the case when you look at this roster and as you say, who they left. I mean, Carter Torinsky, is that the guy's name? Who the heck is that guy, right? And I mean, these are way off the board selections, not like, say, a Jonathan so last time around with the Vegas Golden Knights who had shown some pop, maybe not, you know, 30, 40 goal pop like he ended up having. You know, there was William Carlson, kind of a big name, hadn't broken out, puts up 40 goals that first season, right? So there is obviously the possibility there, but you look at this roster and who was available, and I saw somebody, they made a team up or uh, I can't remember what it was, but somebody made a team up of all the, the most expensive players you could take from each team. And I think the, the end cap was like double the actual salary cap. So obviously you can't take all these big name guys, you know, the Carey Prices, the Tarasenko's, probably don't want to saddle yourself with those contracts. But is cap space really that valuable, Evan? I mean, $30 million, is that that big a deal when you can't win games? Well, my thought was like, yeah, 100%. You can't just take, you know, the most expensive player from each team. A, I don't think that would win you that many games just, you know, looking at the lineup. But B, like you said, you'd be however many million dollars over the cap. But I think that they needed to go out and get at least sort of one big ticket or one big fish. There was tons of names. Like you said, you know, Carey Price, Tarasenko, you know, there were players available who could instantly be game changers for this team. And just looking at their roster, you know, I guess you could kind of argue Giordano might be a game changer, but at what, 37 years old, how much can he really do? Like, let's be realistic. They don't really have one of those players that can take over a game. Even, you know, looking at Vegas, right? Obviously the most recent expansion draft team up until this season well, they had Marc-Andre Fleury, right? When all else failed, they had a phenomenal goalie to back them up and, you know, make those stops. You know, is Drieger, Dreiger, Dreger, however the hell you say his name, is he actually that guy? He's had one season of, you know, putting up some decent numbers. But A, he was the backup goalie who played over expectations. B, he's definitely no Marc-Andre Fleury, right? So, I don't know. I just don't see really that big guy that can take over a game on this roster. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the goalie situation specifically between Dreger, name still TBA, uh, Vitek Vanacek, you know, he had a pretty good season when Ilya Samsonov was hurt in Washington. Joey Decord has some potential coming from ASU there in Ottawa. But again, when I look at this roster face value, to be honest, when I look back at the Vegas Golden Knights, the team they actually drafted with the, uh, you know, trying to eliminate the benefit of, you know, 2020 revisionist history, it kind of stacks up pretty similar just right off the top. You look at the guys the Kraken took this time. You mentioned Gio. They have Jordan Everly, Vince Dunn, Yanni Gord are very solid players and I think are going to be, you know, fill out your top two lines pretty well. You look at the Golden Knights, I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury, but other than that up front, it was James Neal, Cody Eakin, Nate Schmidt on defense. I mean, these are not huge names, I would say, who can push the pace themselves. But the difference here this year, and what I really want to talk about, is the deals and the trades that the Vegas Golden Knights made. Because that's what kind of supplement this team and push them into becoming a Stanley Cup finalist their first season. I mean, just from the trades alone, the Golden Knights acquired Riley Smith, the Jets' first-round pick, a Tampa Bay second-round pick, the Islanders' first-round pick, Shea Theodore, Alex Tuck, Columbus's first round pick and Pittsburgh's second round pick to take Marc-Andre Fleury. And so far, the Seattle Kraken have 
Calgary's fourth and $30 million in cab space. And I mean, you look at this, I think that if you take this approach that Seattle took, which I don't think is necessarily the wrong approach, you know, build from within, give some time. But I think you need the picks to be able to, you know, make this go quicker because Vegas had three firsts there that first year and they used those picks and then traded, you know, two, all three of those prospects now actually are now gone because they can supplement. They have the players around them to build and be cup contenders year in, year out. And I don't think the Kraken have that ability right now unless they're going to pull an Arizona Coyotes, which we'll get into in a bit. But even then, there goes all your cap space. And I'm not too sure that signing guys in the free agent market right now is maybe the smart move at this point. Well, and even, you know, you talk about draft picks and, you know, these younger guys, I, it seems like their plan is to let them develop. And, you know, they're playing for five years from now, not necessarily this season. But as an Edmonton Oilers fan, I've seen a rebuild go absolutely the worst possible scenario. And I think a huge part of that was, you know, the Oilers were trying to put in these young guys into top line minutes who weren't top line minute guys. They didn't really have that chance to develop. And honestly, I could see similar happening with Seattle, maybe not necessarily, you know, putting Taylor Hall as your number one guy or Justin Schultz as your, you know, number one D pairing, but some of these guys who are now going to be leaned on as full-time second line type guys, you know, that secondary scorer type of role, they're not quite ready for that, right? Like, a, you know, John Quinville, Morgan Geeky, these are pretty good players, you know, young guys who have potential, but they're not at that NHL top six caliber. And there's a good chance that they'll be leaned on in that role. So I just don't like, I like that they're planning for the future but they still need to not necessarily worry about the now, but still, you know, you need to put a team out there that'll at least get you a handful of games. Listen, the pressure is obviously on because of Vegas and the fact they went to the cup final their first year and are now perennial cup contenders. And that is not, I would say, fair to the Kraken. I don't think, especially with every other team learning how not to handle an expansion draft, that that was necessarily going to happen. But again, too, I think there's expectations to definitely compete right away. And like you say, even if they don't want to go that route, I mean, taking Morgan Geeky from Carolina over a guy like Jake Bean, these are some questionable decisions in my mind. I mean, Ron Francis obviously has that Carolina connection, but it's just, it's, it's very baffling when you, again, you look at these decisions. Heck, we didn't even touch on the guys they could have taken from Washington. Like you say, Justin Schultz, Brendan Dillon was there. They could have had, you know, three first, first line pairings from Washington. And I think that the, the big downfall for the Kraken was I heard that the minimum they would accept to, you know, not take a player or pick this guy instead of, say, Giordano was a first and a third. And I think they set the bar too high. They didn't allow any wiggle room. And, you know, for some teams is, say, Giordano, like you say, on the last year of his deal, he's 37. Is he worth a first and a third in my mind? Heck no. But, you know, there's some waffle room. Could I have maybe given up a second rounder to keep Gio? You know, maybe. I mean, that's a little harder, but at least something I might think about you can discuss. And I, I understand the whole Brian Berg philosophy of, hey, you set this price, you don't waver, because if you do, they're going to expect it every time. But I think they set the price way too high, asked for way too much. And I think now they're kind of left with, this is what we're going to roll with and we'll see how it goes. But I still, I wonder, I think their division helps them. The Pacific is not the deepest division in my mind, but I still, I'm not too sure this is more than a, a bubble playoff team at this point. I, I think that's a fair assessment too. I, and 
honestly, I don't want to say that's a reach because like you mentioned, they're obviously in the Pacific, the worst division, probably by leaps and bounds realistically. So I, I think, you know, that they could be a bubble team. Um, I don't know. I'm just I'm saving my bacon for when they completely take off here and pull a Vegas because last time I was way off. When they're first in the West and make the Stanley Cup. Yeah, okay. We got you, eBay. Um, <laughs> I'm interested to see what they do come free agency because, like we said, they got all this cap room. Obviously, they've signed Alexiak and uh, Adam Larson, which I think, honestly, both fantastic signings for uh, you know starting up organization. But looking at, you know, some of these top-end free agents, A, how many do they think they're going to get, right? They're, they're most likely not going to get a lot of these older guys, um, you know, who could add that extra edge to a, a, you know, team looking to go all the way. A guy like, you know, Nick Foligno or, or Keith Yandel or Suter Parise, right? Guys that are looking cup-chasing, really. They're not going to get those kind of guys. They're, they're really in my mind, their free agent market is sort of just the middle guys who are looking to get paid more than they deserve. That's realistically what Seattle's going to get. Now, who that is, I don't know. Maybe Thomas Tatar. Maybe they could give him, you know, $5 million, a little more than he's worth. Guys like that, I think they could capitalize on. But I'm interested to see, you know, what their plan is going forward. Yeah, and I think that's the issue because, again, this is a team that obviously valued the cap space, and I don't think the best way to use that cap space is to overpay on free agents, especially if it doesn't work because, I mean, the big name out there obviously tied to them right now is a guy like Gabriel Landeskog because he wants that 9-10 mil, and there's not many teams able to do that except for the Kraken, but you sign him to a max seven-year deal at 10 mil and this team goes in the tank or, again, kind of wavers and is so-so, I mean – they could be looking at a continued rebuild here in three, four years or still working their way up and are saddled with an albatross in Landis Cog. And like you say, you look at all these guys on the list. I mean, maybe you do a deal and acquire Line A, an RFA, who, again, has kind of been up and down, you know, but you can take a risk on him, maybe pay him that, you know, five mil he's looking for. Not too sure what he wants, but I'm not too sure that the best way to go out on this one is to spend a bunch of money on free agency on a guy like Dougie Hamilton when you haven't proven anything yet like the Vegas Golden Knights have when they did go out and trade for a guy like Mark Stone or sign Petrangelo last year. I think you need to prove first that you are in that bracket before you go out and make those deals. So I think for me, it's more so going to be maybe you acquire some short-term money like the, the Coyotes have done. And, you know, you pick up those picks, get that compensation of Patrick Marlowe for a first-rounder or with a first-rounder rather type of deal. But I'm not too sure that free agency and all that is the way to go. I think this has to be a slow build if you want to do this right. And I'm just not too sure that they've done what they need to do to give this a bit of a jump start and, you know, kind of accelerate that timeline to get that, you know, six years that Bill Foley asked for when he, he made the Vegas team. This is still looking like a lot longer in my mind. Now, eBay, we just picked apart this, all the, all the bads pretty much of this roster. Let's take a look at some of the good sides. Now, in my opinion, I think their decor is by far the strongest point of their team. I think they have a realistic NHL decor. I could see Giordano and Alexiak as that top pairing uh, decor, uh, or top pairing decor, top pairing, like 
pairing. Um, and then I could see Larson and Vince Dunn as that second. I think those two would complement each other uh, very well. And I think quite a few others, you know, would probably agree. From there, maybe Susie and, uh, and what's his name? The big guy? Lazon? No, but he could fill in there. Uh, McDermott is what I was thinking. Um, but either one of those two guys, right, they have a couple different options at that 6-7 D, D spot. And then a couple young D men to develop. I like how that's looking. You know, it seems like they actually have three fairly quality pairings, you know, who could go and shut down other teams. The offense, not quite the same. But at least we can look on the bright side for one one group of players yeah you know they definitely went big uh, a lot of big guys there I, I love Jeremy Lazo I think he did great in Boston last year he's a guy I would definitely plug in there above McDermott in my mind and like you say I think they did a great job selecting and even then too right after that you have guys like Hayden Fleury who are still going to line up behind there and push for minutes I think that their only downfall is the fact that the same thing Vegas did you had to draft you know nine or ten D-men and they're all pretty much or close to NHL caliber, but you can't play them all right. So I think the issue they're going to run into is too much of a surplus. So teams will come calling on those guys and maybe their value diminishes a bit because you have that supply to meet the demand, right? In my mind. So I think that's an issue, but it's a good problem to have. And they do, I think, like you say, have the, the abilities there on the defensive core. And I think one thing too, I mean, you did kind of pick apart their goaltending, but I think the one thing is it does have potential. I'm not too sure that any one of these guys is going to carry the, carry the load for 50 plus games, but I think they are able to platoon and it does have that potential. We saw a few bright flashes and some long bright flashes that is with Dreger and Vanacek last season. So I think they can be pretty good like Vegas was their first season when Marc-Andre Fleury got hurt and they were running guys like Oscar Dance through there, uh, Maxime Legacy as well, who nobody had heard of. They did pretty well. So I think these guys will have something to prove as well. And I think that they will maybe rise to the challenge at the very least provide solid goaltending in my mind, maybe not stellar, but they won't lose them games. I think. Man, Vegas even had that, uh, the one guy from the WHL came up for a game, didn't he? That's right. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember his name, but yeah, that's right. They, they ran through four goalies because they had Malcolm Subban too right, right off the bat, and he got hurt, and yeah, they were running, <laughs> running through the entire roster in the organization first year. Now, first line, I've seen a little bit of, uh, you know, potential roster drops or rather lineup, you know, people drawing them up there. Um, Yanni Gord is probably most likely their number one center. Uh, love him as a player. It'll be interesting to see how he moves from a depth player who kind of that do-it-all type of guy to, you know, being leaned on as really the guy offensively, in my mind at least. And then I think you got Eberly and Donskoy uh, on his wings, which honestly, not the best first line, obviously, but uh, I think it would be a passable top six line. I think, do you think that's fair to say? Passable, I think is, is fair. If not, as you would say, maybe a little generous. Again, I'm not too sure these guys playing above their levels. I mean, they are getting paid like guys who should play in the, in the top six. I'm not too sure they will perform that way. Even a guy like Brandon Tanev will move up and down the lineup. Kelly Yarncroak has done very well and performed above expectations for a Nashville team that, 
has not performed up to expectations recently. We're looking at you, Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne, who are left <laughs> exposed. And I would also say the Kraken were smart not to take, help those guys out at all. But I think that, again, this team is, is a bunch of middle six forwards in my mind, maybe a few fourth liners, but guys are going to have to play above that potential because in my mind, the only guy who's really done it and done it consistently is a guy like Jordan Everly. Now, eBay, this is sort of my final note on the expansion draft. I don't know what you have after this, but I'm looking for who do you think will be that guy to step up for this Seattle team? You know, uh, you know, we mentioned Vegas. Obviously, they had a handful of guys who really went above and beyond what they were expected to do. But, you know, in the early days of that, you know, James Neal, David Perron, those were two veteran guys that were leaned on, especially offensively for that team. Who do you think that could be for the Kraken? Yeah, offensively, it's tough to kind of project. Again, there's no real Jonathan Marchessault who had the flashes, just couldn't fit on a roster and then absolutely lit it up. So you're looking for that wild Bill Carlson there on the bottom six that I'm not too sure there is one. Obviously, these guys, a lot of them have played. The guys who are going to get those top minutes have played a lot of hockey. We've seen kind of what they are. You know, they're like the Bears. They are who we thought they were. So I would say Cali Yarncrook has the potential to kind of extend. He's going to have to fill the net if they want to. But in terms of, like you say, that veteran guy to lean on, I think it's got to be Mark Giordano. I mean, he's been a captain for, you know, the better part of a decade, I think. He's, he's been around the block. He's, it's his first time being drafted. So congratulations to him. But, you know, he's seen it all, done it all. And I think that for a guy who's 37, he was a big part of the Calgary community. This is going to be a guy who, especially for those young D-men who are going to be fighting for that 6-7 spot, he's going to have to be the shepherd. And I think in my mind, he's probably the, the best bet to be captain of this team if they do pick a captain near one. And if he's not the captain, then uh, I think Ron Francis has to go that quick. Got to hit the road. No, for me, I'm looking at a guy you know, who, who on his previous team, like all these players' previous team, but – he moved up and down the lineup. This was his real first shot in the NHL. And he produced somewhat well. He got uh, you know, almost half a point per game, played for the U.S. at the World Championship. He's an older guy for being young within his NHL career. Colin Blackwell, this is a guy who, you know, he has played up and down the lineup. He has that skill to be able to produce for a team. You know, as some of that secondary scoring depth, I think he could be a huge player, you know, even on, say, a second power play for the Kraken. Yeah, and making 725K, I mean, I don't think you can perform below that, so there's nowhere to go for, but up <laughs> for him. But I, I do think that is a very good pick if you're, if you're looking at guys to kind of exceed the potential at, at this point. Well, I mean, I guess below that would just be American League. But, you know, nonetheless, uh, yeah, that's my pick. Ebay, do you have anything else on uh, on the expansion draft before we keep going with uh, NHL news? Uh, not really. Some tough losses for the Alberta teams, which sucks because, again, you look at all the other teams who had these big-name guys that didn't get taken. But I think if there's one benefit, at least for the Flames, not too sure you can say the same for the Oilers, is the fact they do open up almost $7 million in cap space. Now how they use it will be interesting. Again, they will have some big contracts coming up next year. That will probably ask for a raise just with inflation, but the cap space is valuable now, so I do appreciate it. And again, as a Flames fan, it was great to watch Gio for the past 13, 14 seasons. He's been steady through the ups and downs of the last decade as a Flames fan, so congratulations to him. I guess the one thing maybe I'm curious for your take on as an Oilers fan is 
the rumor that Adam Larson was also offered, you know, a four or five year deal in that $4 million range from the Oilers and didn't want to take it. So, I mean, I don't know. What do you read into that as an Oilers fan? I heard, and I, I believe this is from Ryan Rashog. There was multiple different offers from the Oilers varying in term. So kind of varying from two to five years type of deal. And Ken Hall in this offseason, I guess he's making it a point to give players more term and try to get that AAV down. So I don't know. I'm, a, I'm very sad. I think Larson was obviously a huge part of the Oilers' D. Anybody who still bitches about the Taylor Hall trade, get over it. Taylor Hall is not even with Jersey anymore. And uh, Oilers made the playoffs twice with Larson, two more times than they did with Hall. So we can get over that now. I I loved him with the Oilers, so I'm very sad to see him go. I don't know what to think about him realistically taking the same deal, just with a different team. It's obviously sad, but I don't know. Like, And also, obviously, I'm not in those meetings, so I don't exactly know how they went down. But it is sad to to think, you know, he had the opportunity to take the same money, the same term in Edmonton and decided to go somewhere else. Yeah, to me, that's a little concerning if I'm an Oilers fan. Uh, The one lasting memory, though, I have of Larson is it was Milan Lucic's first season in Calgary, and he beat Larson in a foot race. And I've never looked at Larson the same since. That was the most embarrassing thing I have seen in the past four or five seasons. I couldn't believe that Milan Lucic, the slowest man in the NHL currently, beat someone in a foot race. So... That's the one thing I will remember from him. Again, I think he was he really matured over his time in Edmonton and became kind of that solid, you know, shutdown guy. I don't think he was maybe worth a four by four contract in the end. So I think long term this may be maybe decent for the Oilers. But uh, at the same time, I think it is a tough loss on that blue line, which is not very deep to begin with. Continuing on eBay with the NHL news, uh, obviously there's been some huge trades here uh, within the last week. We're going to go all the way back to uh, the day of our last podcast. So July 17th is really when things uh, got underway here. And there was a huge three-team trade eBay where, uh, you know, I guess before we get into this trade, I just want to say Philly is really blowing up their decor, hey? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm not too sure if you can necessarily call it a blow up with the guys they're bringing in. And I mean, they didn't really trade any any big pieces when you look at a guy like Philippe Myers and, and all these other guys coming in. This looks like actually a very solid top four they're going to have here. So I guess that's just my general thought here right off the bat blowing up again. If they were dealing guys away like Nashville did, and we'll get into this, obviously, if they were dealing away these big names, maybe, but for for guys who are prospects are still realizing their potential, I wouldn't necessarily call it a blow up, but I know what you mean. They're shaking it up for sure. Shake up. That's a way better word because they are going to have a totally different, or I guess not totally different, but quite a bit of a different decor here moving forward um, just with different mainstays. Um, So yeah, I guess getting back to the trade now, uh, Ryan Ellis goes from the Nashville Predators to the Philadelphia Flyers for Philippe Myers and Nolan Patrick. Nolan Patrick then got flipped from the Predators to the Vegas Golden Knights for Cody Glass, as you previously mentioned, eBay, that uh, former first rounder for the Vegas Golden Knights. I believe he was actually the, the first player ever drafted by the Golden Knights, if, uh, if my memory serves me right there. 
I believe so, right around number six, right? Because it would have been him. Suzuki was in the uh, the early teens, and then Brandstrom was in the early 20s. Yeah, so, yeah, I guess just uh, what are your thoughts on three-team deal, obviously? Uh, you know, we talk uh, not blowing up, but shaking up now that we have that clarified. How do you think Ryan Ellis will fit on this D? I mean, I think he'll fit extremely well. This is a guy who throughout his entire career has been solid. And what is maybe most interesting to me is the fact that Nashville trades what has been one of their steadiest defenders. uh, He's only 30 right now on a very, very good deal in this type of market at six and a quarter million per season. For another six, seven years, he even goes past 2026, 27 on cap friendly. So he's got term, right? And especially too, the surprising part is we were talking all last year, particularly at the trade deadline before Nashville got hot and just just uh, was in, in, a, in a playoff spot contention there around that time. Uh, Matthias Ekholm, he was the guy who was supposed to be gone. He's only got one year left at three and three quarters million. So it's just, I guess, interesting they traded this guy, and I'm not too sure where Nashville goes from here in a sense and what they want to do. I mean, trading Victor Arvidsson earlier makes sense because they were going to lose somebody in expansion draft. And at the time, everybody thought the Kraken were going to take big-name guys, and Arvidsson certainly fit that bill, especially with the guys they had to protect. They went 4-4-1 four, four, and one on their defense. So it's just it's interesting to me that he's maybe the odd man out, especially because – they protected someone. I remember that being a big deal. Was it a forward who was, uh, who was kind of a known to no, know? It was a defenseman. Uh, give me a minute here. You, you oh, he was a – yeah, yeah, because they had Fabro, Ellis at home, right? Well, Ellis, Ellis then, would have been gone, right, because they traded him, if yes, I'm not mistaken. You're right. So it would have been Yosi at home. Uh, Fabro. Oh, yeah, of course, I forget. And then We're there was one, one guy who was like an AHLer who uh, I'll look up here when you make your point, but it's just interesting how they decide to do their, their stuff and maybe they're high on this guy. This is, you know, the defense you if you take, you know, the college football term where they go by their positions, but this is the team that builds and breeds defenders. So it's interesting they decide that Ellis was, you know, expendable. And I think they get back a good guy in Cody Glass, who maybe wasn't going to be able to necessarily crack the Vegas Golden Knights roster. And from all the guys we've talked to who've played with them, you look at the eye test, it looks pretty good. And he's a center, which obviously the way Nashville has been so far, they need desperately. They have not found a reliable scorer in years. As for Nolan Patrick, a guy who's been hurt, missed all of last season. So a change of scenery may do him some good. But Nashville is very interesting at this point for me. Yeah, I, I, I like, uh, like you said, I like them bringing in Cody Glass. You know, Nashville obviously starting to, to go into that rebuild phase after making the cup finals however many years ago now at this point. But I like it. You know, Cody Gra- Grass, Glass got a cup of coffee last season in the NHL. You know, he, he got a handful of points there. I believe he was about a point per game in the American League too. So he's really close to being – maybe not a mainstay in in your lineup, but fairly close to being one of those type of guys, especially on, you know, this rebuilding Nashville team who, like you said, they're starving for offense. This is a guy who could fill that role. Now, you know, in, in Vegas, getting back Nolan Patrick, I think that's big for them. You know, one thing that they've been missing up the middle, that centerman depth on that team, you know, hasn't been fantastic, right? They they didn't really have a first-line center last year. Not saying that Nolan Patrick is going to be their first-line center, but, you know, at least you start adding depth in that position. And like you said, it's a shake-up. It's new scenery for him. He's obviously second overall pick. 
he has something there. He has that base. If he can get over these injuries, maybe with, you know, new chemistry here, who knows what could happen. Yeah, and I was just mistaken too. The Predators actually went three, five, and one with their protected list. Their protected list was Philip Forsberg, Tanner Janot, and Luke Kunin for uh, forwards. And their defense were Alex Carrier, Matthias Ekholm, Dante Fabro, Roman Yossi, Philip Byers, and of course UC Soros and Nett. So two young guys who, again, might, must have some potential if they're protecting him because their exposed list is. Is very impressive when you look at guys like Cal Yarncroke, Colton Sissons even, I think, is a very solid down forward. Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson, we've talked enough about them. Rocco Grimaldi is kind of coming to his own now. Nick Cousins. So there are some interesting pieces left exposed there. And again, Nashville obviously protects the defense because that's what they have. But it's interesting that he decided that, you know, Ryan Ellis maybe wasn't going to fit in with that protected list. eBay, we got lots of trades still uh, coming down the pipe here. So... We're going to move on from, uh, from this three-team deal and uh, go to a deal involving a couple goalies here. Uh, Alex Nedeljkovic goes to the Detroit Red Wings. In return, Carolina Hurricanes get Jonathan Bernier and a third-round pick in this year's draft. Uh, and I believe Nedeljkovic signed for two years, $3.5 million, if I'm uh, not mistaken. But two years, $3 million rather. So, man... I love that deal. I don't understand how Carolina couldn't pay him that or why they had to move him out in this scenario. Yeah, especially because you look at Carolina's cap and they're basically the Seattle Kraken right now. They've got $29 million in cap space. And I mean, if you want, they have to re-sign Dougie Hamilton, which could stay or go. They are also a team with very good defense. Cedric Paquette probably needs a new contract. And they need two goalies. And I mean, you look at $29 million, there's a lot you can do with that, especially considering they don't necessarily have a lot of holes to fill. The roster seems pretty well in place. There will be a decently sized contract coming down the pipeline, I believe, in Andrei Svechnikov, unless he's already signed. No, I believe nope. he is an RFA. He is an RFA, so that will be big money too. But again, there is room here to fit in those two goalies you need. And you look at a guy, Nadelkovic, who's coming off a 932 season of save percentage, 190 goals against average. I understand keeping Mrazik because while hurt, he has been solid, but that's kind of my concern with a guy like him is the fact that he is often injured. I guess the only thing I can think maybe is that Carolina knows something we don't. And, you know, who knows what the young goalies, right? You figure something out later on. There's holes to be exposed. I mean, Steve Mason won a Calder's rookie season with Columbus. That was the best season of his career, I believe. He had a few kind of minor resurgences, but nothing to that extent. So, Again, I guess, you know, obviously Carolina knows what they're doing, but to decide not to resign this guy for, like you say, what I think is a very, very decent contract, a bridge deal, give him that prove it, and he's only stuck with him for two years if it doesn't work out, and instead decide to go with, with the old guard like Mrazek, Jonathan Bernier, James Reimer, even as UFA if you want to bring him back. So it seems interesting, but like you say, I think this is a swindle for the Red Wings, and you know, who knows, maybe Stevie Y has some magic where he picks up the phone and goes, hey, Don Waddell, is, is Alex available? And Waddell goes, no, and Stevie Y is like, he is now. And Waddell's like, you're right, you can have him. You know, like, he just seems to make stuff happen out of nowhere with these trades and they all seem good. I mean, we talked Jakob Vrana last year. Like, are you kidding me? What they, what they gave up and got for this guy? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I, you said it perfectly. He literally, that, that has to be it. That's the only answer why Carolina would have done this deal. Right. Cause I believe, uh, I believe Bernier is a UFA as well. 
uh, this season. So all they got was, you know, more negotiating time with them, which, you know, is not really worth that much when you're giving up possibly your future starting goalie. So I don't know. Interesting one there. Um, I'm, I'm in awe of it, I guess. Uh, that's all I have on that one. eBay want to keep rolling with these trades here. Yeah, let's do it. Stevie Y learned some hypnotizing techniques uh, in his Detroit days and has now taken the NHL by storm. eBay, let's, uh, you know, we talked about the Flyers obviously getting Ryan Ellis. They also get another arguably top pairing D man. I know he's had a couple down years in a down organization, but, you know, maybe that, like we said with uh, Nolan Patrick, you know, a little bit of a shakeup there. Rasmus Ristolainen goes from the Sabres to the Flyers. Uh, in return, the Sabres get Robert Hegg, this year's first round pick, which I believe uh, was 15th overall. I believe so. Could be wrong on that one. Uh, and to the 2023 second round pick. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I think, uh, you know, Philly obviously thinks that they have a need on defense and they're really filling that need. Yeah. And I think you can never invest too much on your decor when you do have a young goalie like Carter Hart, who did have some up and down years. And Brian Elliott was the best goalie on that team throughout the entirety of that season. And like you say, a guy in Rasmus Ristolainen who has had some down years, but I think that can be attributed to the team he was on. You look at even a guy like Taylor Hall, who still managed to produce relatively well with, with Buffalo and then went to Boston and really took off there. I think Ristolainen still produced relatively well. 18 points in 49 games I think is decent. And I think the big thing too is you can't overlook the fact he's a right shot defenseman, always a, a need and a hot commodity here. So when I first looked at this trade, I was shocked they gave up that much particularly the first round pick, but delving a little deeper, I think it makes sense. And plus the thing is too, is I'm not too sure he's maybe a top pairing guy, but he'll definitely slot in real nice on that second pairing behind Ivan Provorov, who was still there, Ryan Ellis. And you can either pair, pair him with a guy like Justin Braun or a young up and comer who's still there too. And Travis Sanheim. So I think really this team has a, a very solid top four and now is maybe one of the best in the entire league. Maybe. I think that top four, I don't know if I would say it's the best, but I think I can agree with you. It's definitely one of them. And I mean, Ristolainen, you know, his skills are still there. While he might not have been playing that well or putting up quite the numbers expected from him, the skill's still there. He's still a 6'5 or 6'6 fairly mobile D-man, right? Any team in the NHL could use that. So... I think it's worth it. I, I feel like the Flyers are still in somewhat of a win-now mode just with the core that they have. Um, so I think this is, you know, pushing them to that. Now, the Flyers have been up and down, you know, missing the playoffs every other year, including this year. So, you know, maybe next year that addition of Ristolainen and Ryan Ellis will, uh, you know, hopefully win them the cup. That's their thought. I don't know if that's quite the case, but I, I definitely think they're in a win-now mode. I mean, yeah, this was a team that I believe, did they win their division two years ago? I mean, with all the all the COVID and stuff, hard to say, but this was one of the hottest teams in the league two years ago. Obviously didn't do it this year. I think goaltending, again, a huge part of that. But like you say, they do have a solid core and they didn't really lose anybody in an expansion draft. They have 10 million to play with and they really only need a, a defenseman, I think, in my mind. They need, yeah, a, a sixth defenseman and maybe a few guys to fill in. But you got a guy like Joel Farabee who's done very well, Morgan Frost. These guys are on their rookie deals. So 
there is definitely definite room there for Philly and they should be competing and there's no excuse now. Well, and they, you know, potentially to fill in that sixth role. I don't know how close he is as a prospect, but Cam York, we saw him captain Team USA to a World Junior Gold this year, or this past year, rather. So, you know, maybe he's ready to take that step as their sixth, seventh guy. Who knows? But bottom line, I think we can both agree, this is looking like a freaking good NHL uh, decor. Yeah, definitely agreed. Uh, eBay, I don't have much on this next one, but fairly big, uh, you know, younger players coming up. Pavel Buchnevich goes from the New York Rangers to the St. Louis Blues for Sammy Blay and a 2022 second round pick. Um, what do you think of this deal? Obviously, Blay more of that, you know, third line energy type of guy. Buchnevich more of a big body goal scorer. Kind of just different roles. Teams looking for different needs, I'd say, right? Well, that too. And I think also Buchnevich wasn't overly happy in New York, particularly over the last year. I think he was also a guy who had a few issues like Elias Anderson. So I think this is also just a change of scenery. And I think it's a solid hockey deal. One guy needs a change of scenery and a fair, fair trade going back the other way with Blay and that pick. So I think it's, you know, a good, you know, hey, you try it. If it works out great. If not, I don't think there's any real loss on either side in my mind. No harm, no foul kind of kind of deal. I like it. Uh, okay, now let's get into these next, I guess the next two are going to be big deals. Or would, you, would you rather, no, you know what? Scratch what I just said. I'm, I'm, the gears are turning as I'm talking. There's eBay, a lot to, to cover here. <laughs> yeah, lots to cover. We're going to go on to one more small deal before we go for those big deals. Uh, Jake Bean gets traded from Carolina to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, in return, Carolina only gets a second round pick. Uh, Carolina, hello. What's going on, guys? Give your head a shake. You just gave up two great young players from your Calder Cup winning team for a couple of picks. What? Excuse me? Yeah, I mean, I would agree. Like you say, I thought Jake Bean was a shoo-in to be going to Seattle. Obviously did not happen. And I think now, I mean, listen, obviously Carolina is very good on their blue line. They're solid. They have all their pieces. And this kind of makes me believe they're going to lean towards re-signing Dougie Hamilton. Because if not, I think Jake Bean is a, is a good bet to not maybe replace him right away. But he's an offensive defenseman and he would at least fill in on that bottom pairing, get those solid minutes. So maybe this is a case of, again, too much, too much in stock and, you know, not enough people uh, or people willing to take advantage. That is too much demand, right? So I think maybe it was more so Columbus saying, hey, you got an extra guy, we'll give you this. But I do think, like you say, it's, it's a, little, a little low to, to sell on him. I do, in my mind, believe that a first rounder maybe is too much, but at least a, a prospect in there with the pick, I think, would have been, would have been more than fair. Or maybe a, a player, like a middle six kind of player, right? Jake Bean was the American Hockey League's top defenseman within the last couple of years. I'm not exactly sure what year that was, but it's not like this is some schlub or some, you know, fifth rounder from the WHL, right? Like, this is a guy who's already proven himself as a quality prospect. So, I don't know. It... it I'm very, very surprised. And as an Oilers fan, I'm wishing we had a second round pick to give away for Jake Bean because I think that's a great young D-man that really any organization could use. 
Yeah, I think the only problem, if, if you're talking a Columbus trade and looking at a middle six guy, uh, have you looked at this roster recently? It goes Cam Atkinson, Gustav Nyquist, Oliver Bjorkstrand, Max Domi, Boone Jenner, Jack Roslevic, then a whole bunch of guys who I don't really know. So, I mean, there's you got your, kind of your top tier and maybe guys getting paid too much or underperforming. And there's not much in the middle, especially when all those guys leave in free agency. So it might be tough to swing that one with Columbus. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, eBay, now let's get to the big deals. Let's start things off uh, with the Vancouver uh, Canucks and Arizona Coyotes trade. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks have acquired Oliver Ekman Larson and Connor Garland in exchange, basically a cap dump. Uh, they're giving away Anton Roussel, Jay Beagle, Louis Erickson, uh, a first-round pick this year, which was the number nine overall pick, I believe, uh, 2022 second-round pick, and a 2023 seventh-round pick. So each team gets to uh, dump a little bit of cap, but obviously the Vancouver Canucks are getting two quality NHL players out of this deal. They are, but also, too, you're giving up a top-10 pick, which is tough. And all for guys who were only going to be on the books for one year. So that just tells you how desperate Jim Benning was and what the need was when you do have a guy in Elias Pettersson, Elias Pettersson, excuse me, who does need a new deal this season and you have to re-sign half your decor. And for me, this is tough because in my mind, you know, all three of those contracts, maybe Roussel, not as much, but Beagle and Louis Erickson were mistakes the minute they signed them. They were way overpaid in free agency and especially Louis Erickson, as soon as he got to Vancouver, did nothing and was in, I believe, John Tortorella's doghouse, if I'm not mistaken, if it goes that far back. He was not in a good place. And you have one year left. You're almost done. And what do you do? You go and pick up Oliver ekman Larson, all seven million of him, for a guy who is definitely not the same guy he was when he signed this deal. And you're stuck with him now for six, seven more seasons, right? So... This is tough because, again, you get that short-term game, but now you're stuck with a guy who is on the wrong side of 30. He is 30 now. And as another guy, as I look on Cap Friendly, who was signed past that 26-27 date, and the arrow keeps pointing. So I don't know. It seems like they just kind of kicked the can down the road here. And I think, again, Jim Benning is going to pay for it because you can't keep signing these bad deals because at some point they're going to bite you in the ass. See, I don't hate this deal or this trade rather yet Connor Garland, who I believe led uh, Arizona in points last year. Now, Arizona, it's not like you're saying, you know, he led Tampa in points last year, but he still had 36 points in uh, or 39 points rather in uh, 49 games, which is still, you know, a quality guy, especially when he's not going to be a first line player for Vancouver, right? He's not going to take the spot of Besser by any means. So I like that as, as a second, second pairing guy. Um, and then for Vancouver, you know, they're, they're losing their more experienced demon, right? Like who knows if, if Hamannick's coming back, who knows if Edler's coming back while Quinn Hughes is obviously a fantastic young demon. You still need that veteran guy seven and, and a quarter. No, he's not worth that. I am an Ekman Larson fan, but no, He's not worth that, but he's still going to give you close to half a point per game throughout the season, right? So 40 points from, from a D-man, still not bad, right? It's not like he's, he's some throwaway, only plays half the time kind of guy, right? It's not like he's Milan Lucic. Hey, 
Milan Lucic was like leading the Flames and scoring there for a bit, and was there was one of their best playoff performers. And I get Which what you're said saying. Something about the Flames. Yeah, that's a topic for another time. But that does that. I do see your point there. I mean, again, they are good players. I think Connor Garland is amazing at what he does. Gets in the dirty areas and did lead the the Arizona Coyotes in scoring. But you also have to remember here they have 18 million dollars. Quinn Hughes needs a new contract. Elias Pettersson needs a new contract. Connor Garland needs a new contract. Jason Dickinson, who they just acquired right before the the expansion draft needs a new contract. So that's four guys right there. And I can't imagine Elias Pedersen taking less than six mil. I got to think a guy like Quinn Hughes probably wants a bridge deal at least $4 million. So that's your 10 mil right there. And you still have to sign two more D-men, including Ole Yolevi, who also needs a new contract. Probably will come pretty cheap, but there's still one guy you have to fill in there. And for me, this team is not going to be able to fill in all the pieces that this guy gives you. And I think that, again, you look the way this season went. This is still a young team trying to grow. You take, you bite the bullet, you pay that $12 million you owed those three players you sent to Arizona, and then you get a clean slate next year. And it is what it is. Even if you say sign a guy like Quinn Hughes to a one-year deal, maybe get him a little cheaper if you can and say, listen, we'll get you on the next round, right? Not too sure if that's possible, but I still think it's tough now that they're going to have to eat this for multiple years when all these guys need this money and you probably won't be able to fill in the pieces around them. And I assume in a couple of years as well, a guy like Niels Hallglander is going to need a lot more money because he was maybe the best player I saw night in, night out for the Canucks last year. As far as the Coyotes, I think this is a great move. They obviously lost their first-round pick this year because of their whole tampering issues, and they need the picks, and they've done a good job of acquiring the picks by doing what they did you know, five, six years ago by paying Pavel Datsuk and Chris Pronger to be retired, doing the same things with Andrew Ladd here, Louis Erickson, these guys. So at the end of the day, it's going to be painful for Arizona, but I think this will benefit them in the long run. I agree. Uh, I, I like what Arizona's doing, just stocking up. Like you said, they obviously, they lost the 10th overall pick or 11th overall pick. So what do you do? Move two spots forward. That's a good way of, of fixing that problem. So in the future, things are looking good prospect wise for Arizona. Who knows how long that takes to kick in? Probably a handful of years, but it, at least they're getting those players in the system. eBay, Final uh, big deal here. Uh, obviously, huge name going. Seth Jones going from the Columbus Blue Jackets to the Chicago Blackhawks, as well as a 2021 first-round pick and a 2022 sixth-round pick. In return, the Blue Jackets get Adam Bokvist, uh, a 2021 first, a 2021 second, and a 2022 first-round deal. I honestly think this is a pretty, a pretty fair deal for both sides, right? Both teams had their need. Um, obviously, Chicago was wanting a better D-man, a number one D-man. Um, and for Columbus, they got Adam Bokefist to me is really what sort of turned it. Um, I don't know if I would have given a first-round pick as well to Chicago, but they switched first, so I guess it kind of worked out. Um, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, you pick up an extra first anyways, depending on the whole uh, protection too, right? Top two protected. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you're up. I believe they moved up as well with their first. So they're okay there. Uh, for me, again, it's a 26-year-old D-man who is a cornerstone defenseman, had a down year last year, but 
hurt COVID, a whole bunch of different stuff, right? So I don't think that's going to hurt in the long run. And obviously Chicago doesn't think so either because they just signed him to a $9.5 million per ticket, which again, I don't think you're going to find a guy at 26 like this just anywhere. They don't grow on trees. So I do think that it's a, it's a good deal to make the move. I'm just kind of confused that Chicago is the team making it because this is one year after they wrote a letter to their fans saying they were going to rebuild. And I know it was last year because I called it embarrassing on this podcast and I still think it was. And so now in one season's time, you're going to be paying Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves and Seth Jones, nine and a half million plus for one more season after this one. So that one season, they'll all be kicked in for $30 million in total between them what's the plan here after this? I mean, I assume a guy like Taves, maybe Kane, like they seem like Chicago lifers, but who knows? And also too, you look at this roster, it's pretty much intact. The decor I would say is all solid. And I think you just kind of fill in the odd, uh, the odd piece there on the third and fourth line. They, they do, do have, you know, 6 million in caps. So just some small tweaks, but again, this is a roster. We talked about the Kraken, but for me, this is at best, a bubble playoff team they're going to compete their goaltending is still you know a little little suspect in my mind still young and kind of unproven but this is a team that is a bubble playoff team in my mind at best and you just saddled yourself with a again a very good defenseman but are you going to be able to take advantage of him before he turns 30 I don't know I I I think you brought up some fantastic points and I agree with you eBay right uh obviously Seth Jones is an elite D-man I'd possibly even say he's a top five D-man in this league, especially for, for his age, what he brings to the table, both ends of the rink. I think he's a fantastic player. But Chicago just doesn't seem at the right spot to acquire this cornerstone D-man. Now, obviously, they have him for eight years, so they got a little bit of time with Jones to, uh, you know, to win. But with the rest of those guys, like you said, Kane T- uh, Taves, you know, how long is their window, right? The rest of their roster, you know, Brandon Hagel, who's a guy from just outside of Edmonton, I believe he was in their possibly even top five in scoring. And he was a rookie coming up from the American League off a contract, right? Like their, their roster is not built to be, you know, making this giant playoff push. So it will be interesting. Now, they have a very young decor, which I think is – is good. You know, bringing in Seth Jones, like we said, only 26 years old, he'll be able to not just sort of mentor and groom this decor, but as well, you know, he'll also be growing. He'll also be getting better each year. So I think that's a very interesting thing. I think it could be an elite decor, kind of like, you know, we were just talking about how Philly's top four is one of the best. I think in five years, we easily could be saying Chicago's is that spot. So I don't know if it was the right timing, but I like the move, if that makes sense, eBay. Yeah, again, I just think it's it's interesting because when you make this move, in my mind, it signifies you're on the cusp of winning. And again, I look at this roster. I mean, like you say, there's a lot of youth and a lot of, lot of older players. I mean, you have Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Brett Connolly. And then in kind of the middle, you have Alex DeBrinkett, Dominic Kubalik, and Dylan Strom. And then there's guys like Henrik Borgstrom, Kirby Dock, Philip Kurishev. Uh, you talked about rookies this year. Pius Suter obviously came out of nowhere, kind of. He's an RFA. Alex Nylander, Brandon Hagel. Uh, they even have to resign Nikita Zadorov, who I forgot, too, as an RFA. So that's going to eat into that money. I just don't see the ability to fill in the gaps. And again, are you going to be able to take advantage of this? Because 
I'm not too sure it works out. And who knows if we're not talking about this in four years going through a rebuild and Seth Jones wants to trade. Yeah, will uh, will be interesting. I think it also helped, obviously, uh, Caleb Jones was just traded there as well. Maybe that sweetened the plot. You know, Seth Jones obviously had his, his list of teams he wanted to go to. So maybe that pushed Chicago over the edge there. eBay, let's talk uh, quickly here. A couple free agent signings uh, and potential free agent signings, but they're looking more than likely here. Uh, Big one if you're an Oilers fan, Mike Smith, two years at 2.2 per year. eBay, I honestly think it's the perfect deal. He had a fantastic last season. Now, you're not just going to pay him, you know, a shit ton of money because he had a good last year. Obviously, his age being 39 was taken into account. I think he does have two years under his belt. Uh, And if they can get somebody whose name is not Miko Koskinen to split time with him, I think this could work out very well for for the Oilers. Yeah, it's funny. The last few days here, I'm not too sure there's an angrier fan base on Twitter than Oilers fans. And this deal also got a lot of heat. And I don't know why, because you look at the numbers he put up last year. As I've said before, if you take age out of this equation, $4 million easy in my mind, and they got him they got him for term and at 2.2 each, which I think is a steal. It gives them the ability to maybe look at some additional free agents, which we'll talk about in a second, and maybe why the Oilers fans have a reason to be upset. But again, I think this is a great deal, even if it doesn't necessarily work out and the wheels fall off this year, which they very well could. I mean, Mike Smith is old. All it takes is one injury in my mind, which who knows, but is getting closer and closer. But I think it's low risk, high reward. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out, you only paid a guy 2.2 million. And again, there's not a ton of great options out there. So you do what you do and hope it works for the best. Now, uh, with that being said, Oilers are also rumored uh, to be in on another deal here. And I believe, eBay, that this would be a sign and trade with the Toronto Maple Leafs. If you haven't caught on to what I'm saying, Zach Hyman is that player that is rumored. Uh, Am I right in thinking sign and trade? So I've heard there's two deals on the table. The Oilers could potentially sign and trade to get that eighth year of control, or if it doesn't work out, which obviously they're still talking and discussing, they also have a deal in place apparently with Hyman and his agent to do a seven-year one as well. So it sounds like no matter how this shakes out, he'll be an Edmonton Oiler unless something completely breaks down. But it's just going to depend if the Oilers and the Leafs can come to terms on some sort of compensation to get that extra one year of control. And I want to say as well, it might be like half a million dollars. That is kind of that difference between the seven and the eight year deal. I, I, I've heard $5 million con, uh, AAV. I've also heard five and a half. So I think that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, I'm not positive on that. I know I've heard in the five range and I've heard too that it's kind of middle loaded. So it'll kind of be at an arc and he'll get less now, more in the middle and less on the end. But It's interesting for me that you want to give that much term and $5 million to a guy who has a career high of 41 points. Now that is not entirely his fault because the last two years have been shortened. He did score 37 and 51 games two years ago and had 33 and 43 last year. But my concern is that a guy like Zach Hyman, who definitely brings a lot more than just the points to the table, which totally justifies some money, But the style of play that he plays and has to play to be successful wears on the body. I mean, again, 51 games two years ago, 43 last year. He's missing 10-plus games a season the last two years. 
after being pretty healthy beforehand. So in my mind, I'm concerned if I'm an Oilers fan because I'm not too sure this works out much longer into the future. Maybe not as drastically as, say, Milan Lucic, but I definitely see the potential to break down. And I'm even more concerned when you look at a guy like Barkley Goodrow, who I think can kind of fit the same role, maybe not have the same scoring ability, but just signed for eight years and $3.6 in, in New York, I believe. So a lot lower money on a team like the Oilers that does need to have any cap flexibility it can get. And also, too, a guy, former Oiler Taylor Hall, who's getting four years, $6 million per. And this is a guy who scores at roughly a point-per-game clip for potentially a million more dollars a year. So I'm just... The money and the term seems like a lot for this guy if I'm an Oilers fan. Goudreau got six years, but to your point, same thing still, right? Uh, as and you well, don't have those you know, extra two years on the back end. Exactly. And adding to your point, Hyman's 29 years old. I think he fits the role that the Oilers need right now to an absolute T. I think he's the perfect. I would pay him $5 million right now and love him to be on the line with McDavid, and I think that would be a perfect fit. But he's 29 years old. Do we want to be paying him? You know, I know it might, you know, do the arc bullshit, but do we still want to be paying him, you know, three and a half million at, at 37 years old? No, not really. I don't think many armchair GMs do either. So um, I like him, though. Like I said, I, I think he would be a great fit. Uh, on the wing with McDavid. He's played with those high-end skilled players. He's uh, able to keep up. He's got that, you know, decent straightaway speed there. Uh, and he can pitch in, you know, he's a 20-goal scorer in a regular season here. Who knows what he's like with, you know, McDavid on his uh, centering him. So I like it. Um, I don't love the eight years, but I don't know. It, it, it'll... It's interesting. I'm interested to see how that contract shapes out. Yeah, and I think for me too, like you say, the seven and eight years, that is something I would never have pictured in a million years for a guy like Zach Hyman. This is something that you maybe do when the guy is 23 and you want to keep that cap hit down throughout his kind of peak years, which we've seen done in the past for other guys. But again, that, that's a long term and a lot of money for a guy who still hasn't technically proven himself over the course of an entire season as more than a half a point per game player. And yes, there's obviously the McDavid factor and it did wonders for Zach Cassian, but this guy also played with guys like Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews. So I'm not too sure there's a huge jump there in production possibly. Again, a great player. think he does his role very well, but the term and the money is tough. I think four years would be perfect five because it's obviously free agency you have to give that extra would be the most I could kind of stomach then he's roughly 34 35 by the end of it but again you're you're paying a lot of money for a guy who has been the same place the Oilers have been the past decade the first round yeah you know what I'm hoping I'm praying that he proves you and I wrong because then I would be a super happy Oilers fan the only problem is how realistic is that I don't know. Only time will tell. Who knows if he even gets signed. I hope he does uh, for, for the near future's sake as an Oilers fan. eBay. Everything I've seen on Twitter, you might be the only one. That's crazy. Come <laughs> on, people. Give your head a shake. We need some quality wingers and we need them now. We don't need them in eight years from drafting them or eight years from signing them for that long, I guess. But eBay... Speaking of drafting players, let's finally get to the NHL draft. Uh, now, we are recording Friday night here just as the draft finished. 
Um, it was a big one. Uh, I, I think it, it shook up similar to how I thought it would with a handful of surprises. Obviously, it was a different season. You know, OHL didn't even play. WHL only had, what, like 20 games. You know, a lot of leagues across the world were, were shaken up, obviously, due to COVID. This was an interesting one, you know, trying to figure out and compare prospects I think a draft like no other is safe to say. Yeah, but can we say that Bobby Mack, Bob McKenzie, though still retired, still on fire. I don't know if you saw the Twitter thread he posted through the first 14, 15 picks there, but everyone he kind of predicted with the exception of one or two nailed right on the head, knew who was going after each pick. I mean, this guy is still the Bob father for a reason. <laughs> and I uh, just got to shout him out because it was, it, it was impressive. I will say for a guy who, again, is supposed to be semi-retired, he's not acting like it. Yeah. Um, Eve, let's go through, uh, obviously a huge storyline from this was all the Michigan players. Uh, I just want to say I'm putting money on them to win the frozen four and I'm doing that now. Uh, you know, looking at it, Owen power, Matt Beniers, Luke Hughes next year will be part of Michigan and Kent Johnson, four of the top five picks all going to be playing or potentially playing at the same school next season. That's okay, I guess. Hey, they got a they got an okay system coming through. Yeah, that's pretty decent. I believe too, if I'm not mistaken, is Chaz Lucius also going to Michigan next year? No, Minnesota. Minnesota. I knew there there's there's one other, isn't there, who was uh from Michigan who was drafted or going to Michigan in that first round? I'm gonna butcher his name, but I believe it's this guy, uh Mackie Samoskevich. Samoskevich. Yeah, I believe he is also going to uh, Michigan next year. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily hedge my bets yet. I mean, it is big. They do have those second years there, especially in that top five. But college hockey is kind of a different beast, particularly with the, the men against boys thing. So I'm not too sure I would go that far yet. But yeah, I think that's huge. And especially too, considering you look at Michigan, the past however many years now they haven't really been you know the Michigan Wolverines you know the guys you think of when you think of the Red Baron scenarios they've been kind of lackluster underperformed have a few good good players here and there like Zach Wierenski but haven't really lived up to the hype and so I think this is huge for the program itself but again super impressive they do have this class and all those guys four or five going in the top 10 pretty darn good. Oh, pretty darn good indeed. Eve, let's, uh, let's break down some of these picks here. Um, I feel like the first 10, uh, the first nine picks, in my opinion, were all top nine players. Now, if they went in the exact order, you know, they were either ranked or predicted. No, I don't think so. But I feel like those top nine players were sort of supposed to go in the top nine. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and I think, too, you look at, again, Bob McKenzie's pre-draft rankings. He had said between two and six was the tightest he's ever seen. You know, guys have him all over the board, and I think a big part of that is obviously the fact, like you say, some guys didn't play, some guys played a lot, some guys played a little bit, some guys played overseas for the first time ever. So a whole bunch of different aspects there. So I do think, though, that for the most part, it was – pretty straightforward even other than the Ottawa centers at 10 I think you could even say up until about 15 that it was pretty much a standard draft in my mind yeah I think that's also fair to say the number 10 overall pick uh, Tyler Boucher going to the Ottawa Senators that surprised me for sure um, 
you know, I, I didn't even know who he was, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, had to look him up after, and a lot of people had him sort of around the, the 40, 50 range, and I heard uh, on the broadcast for the draft uh, that he was hurt for most of that season. So that's why a lot of people had him low. Obviously, Ottawa saw something in him. Uh, so that, that, to me, is definitely the biggest surprise of the first round. Guy jumping up, you know, possibly 30 picks. Um, you know, looking at it, eBay, who did you say again uh, that you thought the Calgary Flames were going to take? Uh, defenseman Carson Lambos. Sorry, I almost said Corson Coolman's too many uh, similar first names there. But Carson Lambos was a guy who I thought was big. And another guy, too, you just mentioned Tyler Boucher, but he was hurt. He obviously played in Finland for a bit, came back, got two WHL games under his belt. And they discovered he had kind of a nagging injury and obviously didn't play to his best potential overseas as well. So maybe a bit of the reason for a drop there. But again, I still think a guy who's very solid, 6'1", 197 already, does it all. I think that this is just a blip in the road and he's going to prove a lot of teams wrong after going 26 to the Minnesota Wild. I agree. You know, uh, again, listening to the broadcast, they had said, you know, after his 16-year-old year in the WHL, he was projected to be, you know, a top five pick even a top three pick even uh in this year's draft like you said injuries you know different things came into play there but uh you know looking at who calgary ended up taking matthew coronado uh i actually had him going when chicago had the pick to chicago he's a chicago steel guy led the uh ushl in goals 48 which i heard was 16 more goals than anybody else in the league so ebay I think you got a good offensive prospect coming to your team, bud. I mean, 48 goals in 51 games. Yeah, that's, that's, that's decent for a, for a guy who's supposed to be a goal scorer, right? That's kind of, that's, that's average. That's what you expect of a draft prospect. No, it is exciting the way he scores. There's two things that concern me though. And one, again, just because I think this is more a overall sample size than just him in general, but his size, he's only 5'10". And a lot of Flames picks recently have been small. And that's been one of their biggest issues in the playoffs is they get bullied. Because they're not very big, they don't have much size, unless it is Milan Lucic, who, again, while he has played well in the playoffs, he's not the guy you want leading your team or playing a ton of minutes in the playoffs. So that's one thing. Two, and this is just maybe recency bias, but he is going to Harvard, and I am still scarred with Adam Fox in my mind, who obviously <laughs> did not want to sign with the Flames, was traded to the Carolina Hurricanes, then subsequently the New York Rangers, and has just won a Norris Trophy. So... Again, I'm concerned because it seems like a lot of those Harvard guys do decide to go their own way. You know, Jimmy BC, another pretty prime example there. So those are two things that concern me. However, if I'm just looking at the prospect overall, very excited, particularly with that goal scoring ability, because it's the hardest thing to do in the NHL and you can never have enough goal scorers. Just to his size, I did hear that uh, he was described as a quote unquote bulldog when it came to getting the puck back. He's good at puck retrieval. So while he might be small, it seems like he's effective at what he does. So I guess there's, you know, give and take with that, right? I, I, uh, I'm a fan of old-fashioned hockey, so, you know, I also would like to see a bigger guy. Um, wasn't that many big, big forwards, right? Mason McTavish, 6'1", 207, and built like a brick house he was gone third overall so unless you were the Anaheim Ducks there wasn't a ton of overly sized forwards in this draft I think that's safe to say 
Yeah, I mean, Dylan Gunther, 6'2", obviously needs to fill out the frame, but he's got the frame for it. That Tyler Boucher was 6'1", 205. So, again, it's just it's, it's the trend now, obviously, where we don't see all, all that size that much. You know, small and speedy is, is the way to go nowadays. But, again, I don't think you can discount what the size does. I mean, the the Los Angeles Kings, obviously, to an extreme, used very well. But even the Anaheim Ducks for years with guys like Ryan Getzlaff, Corey Perry, big, strong up the middle. I still think you need at least one big center because while he may be a bulldog, and I do admire that in him because that's a bit of what Jacob Pelche, another Flames prospect, has too. You can still take a few more hits and win a few more battles if you're 6'2 than if you're 5'10. Hey, Tyler Yamamoto for the Oilers. He's a quote-unquote bulldog and I see him bowl into people and fly away so the slew footing machine yeah exactly if uh you know if the guys stick six in a bulldog that would work too right so um from an Oilers fan perspective they traded down they did the Calgary Flames special they got a uh, a third round pick and traded first round picks uh with Minnesota which I'm actually quite sad about. Um, I had Jesper Wallstead going sixth overall to Detroit. Detroit did end up taking a goalie in the first round with Sebastian Kosa um, at their 15th overall pick. But when I saw Wallstead was still available at pick number 20, I thought the Oilers needed to jump on it. I don't think goaltending is necessarily their number one need um, when it comes to prospects. They have a I don't know his name whatsoever, but he played in the KHL last year and he's put up some unbelievable numbers. Um, I don't know his name, so I'm not even going to try. But if you're an Oilers fan, hopefully you know who I'm talking about. But I thought that they should have taken Wallstead. He gets taken. They end up with, I'm going to butcher this name, eBay, maybe as a French-speaking man, you can uh, help me out. But Xavier Borgo. Uh, Bor- Borjo, Borgo, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't tell you which way they went. I was even surprised when they announced the pick. They said Xavier because it could be Xavier. Ooh, Xavier, a little French flair in there. Um, I had him a little further down. I had him as a 20, 29th overall to Montreal. I thought, you know, the, the French connection there. Um, but obviously, they saw something in him, uh, and they wanted him at that spot. Um, from what I heard is he's a goal scorer. He only had 20 goals uh, and then also 20 assists in 30-some games last season. But the year before, uh, playing with – no, no, wrong guy. But the year before, he had 30-some goals, bottom line. I was going to say he played with Lafreniere, but he, uh, I don't believe he did there. Um, that was a different guy with – Ramusi. Zachary Bolduke. Yeah, that's who it was. But nonetheless, I'm interested in the pick. I didn't watch any QMJHL hockey. You know, he didn't play at the World Juniors. I didn't really watch the under 18s if he was on that team. So I genuinely do not know if he was a good pick or not. I'm going to be completely honest. Yeah, I mean, again, we talked last week. I thought if Sebastian Casa was there at 20, that he would be a pretty decent pick for the Oilers. Again, homegrown, and I thought goalie would be the way to go. But, hey, if you don't love the goalie, I definitely don't condone picking one, particularly in the first round. We've seen how it's kind of hit or miss, especially recently. Devin Dubnik, anyone? But, uh, you know, Malcolm Zuban. 
Yeah, there, there's been a few, right? So again, I, I don't hate it. And I think too, you can never underestimate the, the value of trading down, particularly in this draft where again, we talked last week, uh, I'll have to check here, but I don't think they had one in the second or the third. Yeah, none in the second or third round until they made this deal. So that is a long time to go between picks from the first to the fourth round, particularly in this draft where I would say again, where we talk, there's a whole bunch of guys all over the board who, you know, some people saw, some people didn't, you know, you could be able to find a few more gems, particularly in those later rounds. So I think it was very valuable to pick up that third pick and you only move down two spots. And if you're only moving two spots, I assume this is the guy that the Oilers wanted all along. So I think by adding that extra draft capital, it's a, it's a win in my book for the Oilers. And, you know, it'll be interesting, you know, going down, it says he's a center right now. Who knows, will he really be playing center, especially with obviously those three big contracts in Nuge, Dreisaitl, and somebody named Connor McDavid, if you've ever heard of him. Um, obviously, they'll be filling those center roles. So I'm interested to see, you know, if, how versatile he is. Sort of those other intangibles that you can't just, you know, look on hockey DB and find, right? So I don't know. I, I, I think it's too early to say if I'm happy or not with the pick. Yeah, and I mean, you talk center too. They obviously need wingers right away, and they took last year both Dylan Holloway and Raphael Lavoie, who are also listed as center slash wingers. So as long as you're versatile, I think it works out great. And I think the big thing is it's hard to convert, say, a winger to a center, but all the time guys who are centers end up being wingers in the show. So I don't think drafting for a center when it's maybe not necessarily your, your biggest need at the moment is going to hurt at all in the long run. No, not at all. Uh, eBay, let's do... Uh... This is just my final note, really, on the NHL draft. Only the first round has, has uh, taken part. So, you know, still plenty to go over this weekend. Uh, by the time you guys listen to this, you'll have known what happened, but we don't yet. Uh, I guess just who is your winner and your loser uh, from this, from the night? Uh, it's going to take me a minute for the loser side. I hadn't really considered it, but I mean, my winner by far, and this was even before the draft, is definitely has to be the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, you look at what they did. They got a guy who has the potential to be their franchise goalie here of the future. Not only that, but they pick sixth overall, get Simon Edvidson, another great defenseman, and you look who they already have in Mo Sider potentially filling out their back end in the future. So, I mean, you're trying to build a strong D pairing. You got to win with defense. Defense wins championships, as we say here. So, I mean, that can't hurt. Then you go out at 15, you trade up, you use some of that draft capital they do have. They get Sebastian Casa, a guy who they obviously had their eye on. And again, as I said, when I was speaking about the Oilers last week, you can never have too many goalie prospects. And who knows how long it takes a guy like him to develop so, I mean, it could take him three or four years, and who knows where Nadelkovich is at that time. And so I think that it's smart for the future. They do obviously have some big forward prospects, D prospects. Why not take a flyer on a goalie in my mind? So I think that was, that was huge for them at this point. Yeah, I, I think that's a great pick, eBay. I could go with your pick, but let's make things interesting and shake it up a little. I'm going to go with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, obviously, they got rid of their top D-man, but – in return, they obviously got number of second round picks, number of future, or one rather, uh, future first round pick. They got a number 12 pick um, where they chose Cole Sillinger, who I actually had going 13th to the Calgary Flames. 
And I think that kid is a stud. I think he has a, a fairly NHL-ready type of game just in the sense that he doesn't need to create offense on one-on-ones or two-on-ones. He can do stuff off of a setup type offense, um, and he's got a wicked shot. Um, they as well got Kent Johnson, who a lot of people are saying, you know, arguably the, the most creative forward um, in this draft. And then Corson Kuhlman's, I mean, it, it's obviously too early to say he's going to turn into Kale McCarr, but all signs are pointing directly in that direction. And, and from what I've heard is he plays very similar to Kale McCarr in the sense that he loves to join the rush. He loves to push the pace, very heads up D-man, but he's also mean. He adds that grit to his game. So I think out of the three first round picks, they nailed all three of those and they got Adam Bokvist. I'd say that's a quality night overall. Yeah, and I think that unless you're drafting like the Boston Bruins a few years ago, if you have three picks in the first round, you're automatically a winner in my mind. We could also throw in the Calgary Flames of 2013 in there too, although Sean Monahan did turn out. But still, I think that three picks gives you a lot of hope. If I'm going to have to pick a loser here, and again, tough this year without having watched a ton of these guys, and again, all over the map, but I think – I might have to go with the St. Louis Blues in Zachary Bolduke. I just think it might be a bit of a reach. I know you talked about the the Oilers pick having 40 points in 29 games. Well, Zach Bolduke, he only had, uh, let me check here, 19 or sorry, 29 points in 27 games. So I think it's interesting too, particularly when one pick later, Chaz Lucius goes to the Winnipeg Jets, obviously a solid centerman as well. So I think that when you're looking at guys for the same position and who was available, it just seems like an interesting pick for me at number 17. Yeah, fair. Um, for my loser, again, it's, it's tough to say. We'll, we'll have to see, you know, in three years, eBay will look back at episode number 69 and see if we were actually correct on this. Uh, but mine's going to be the Dallas Stars. Wyatt Johnston is, uh, is their only first-round pick, number 23 there. Uh, you know, I heard that he played well at the under-18s in, in sort of a third, fourth-line type role for Team Canada. My biggest problem with taking him in as your first-round pick is he didn't play a single regular season game this year. You're taking him off of a seven-game sample size. Um, and, you know, when, when you're basing your – or not basing your future on this pick, but, you know, part of your future is based on this pick. I don't love just basing that on a seven-game sample size. Yeah, and that's what's going to be so interesting about this year is a lot of those OHL guys, you know, some went overseas to mixed results, some didn't, stayed home. So that's going to be the interesting part, right, is how big was that one year of development? Maybe it helps them getting in the weight room, particularly at this age, you know, putting on some of that size. And who knows? Uh, obviously, these guys were still working, but without those games, it might take a bit to catch up to speed. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this, this COVID year impacts a lot of these prospects in all sports, I would say, not just hockey. Yeah, 100% for sure. eBay, any, uh, any final notes here before uh, we wrap up the podcast? No, I guess we just better announce here that, guys, this was a huge one. We had a ton of stuff to talk about, and we will have a ton of stuff to talk about on our next podcast because we are taking some summer holidays. I think we've earned it. It's been a long time since we took one off. When was the last break we took? Uh, I guess we took one a few weeks ago, but before that, was it Christmas? Yes. And even then, we still put out a best-of podcast. So I think the last true kind of, kind of break we took was Halloween of last year. 
And before that, it, it's been a while. We've only taken off, I believe, three weeks with, or maybe four weeks within the last uh, year and a half now, something along those lines. So yeah, we, we, I don't want to, you know, be saying that I deserve vacation time, but eBay, actually, instead of saying I deserve vacation time, you deserve vacation time, eBay. You deserve the break. You sound like Megan Rapinoe when they won with the World Cup there and she was parading around the trophy saying, I deserve this. I deserve this. Uh, no, but I will, will agree with you. I think it's time to take a break. Again, there's a ton of stuff to check out this summer before we're stuck in the doldrums of winter and terrible road conditions. And I mean, I've got holidays coming up here this week. You've got holidays coming up too. And I think it's also the perfect time, kind of a dead zone in the schedule. We'll be able to recap all the free agent silliness, because I'm sure there'll be a ton of it when we come back here closer to September. And also, too, we'll be able to pack in a good football preview as well. So we'll leave you with a big episode here. We've been recording for about an hour and a half now and then come back to another big episode. So I think it's the perfect, perfect storm there. There'll be the MLB playoff race shaping up, too. So I think this is the right time to take a break. and We'll hit it strong for the big fall rush. For sure, guys. Um, you know, I say it always and, and keep going. Go check them out. They'll uh, once we come back from this break, they'll definitely get a little more revitalized here. So go check out the social medias: Instagram and TikTok at nux underscore and underscore pucks, Twitter at nux and pucks, the website nuxandpucks.com. And guys, we still have the YouTube page nux and pucks. Go check it all out. Go follow us. Subscribe. Do whatever each website tells you to do. But please go check those out. We would appreciate that very much. Guys, that wraps up episode number 69. Instead of having a great week, have a great next 30 days and see you guys soon.